This week's episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by Vector Medical. Vector Medical was founded with one goal in mind, to equip physicians and healthcare providers with insights, resources, and education to enhance their ability to architect their futures productively. With continual changes in healthcare, private equity partnerships, and evolving markets, Vector provides market intelligence, strategic resources, and educational tools for physicians, physician groups, and health systems. Since its inception, Vector Medical has evolved to assist an ever-expanding list of clients in the healthcare industry with national and international recognition as one of the foremost healthcare strategy firms. Vector is at the forefront of synergies in value-based and optimal patient care. Vector's mission is dedicated to creating provider efficiencies, patient efficacy, and optimal outcomes across a variety of stakeholders for long-term success. We are honored to have worked with some of the preeminent names and brands in the healthcare and are excited about future opportunities. So private equity remains one of the hottest topics in orthopedics. I'm thrilled again to bring on Gary Hirschman as well as Dana Jacoby, who are two of the world's leading experts on healthcare transactions, especially within orthopedics. We talk about the economy and how these deals are starting to bubble up again, what their expectations are going into 2023, what platforms are, and then also who's going for second bites pretty soon. And one of the hottest topics, which is extractions, where they're literally grabbing orthopedic groups that are hospital employed or associated with a hospital, extracting them out, putting them into private equity, sort of like getting divorced and then start dating your wife literally the next day. It's fascinating. This is a great episode. We're also all coming to OSET. We're all looking forward to that as well. Hashtag follow the fro, Dr. Scott Sigmund. From medical media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. Don't forget, we now have a YouTube channel so you can see all of the amazing people that we're interviewing for yourself on video as well. Please subscribe. We're really excited about our channel. So today, uh, you know, what is one of the hottest topics still in orthopedics? And that is private equity uh, and healthcare transactions. We're bringing back the king and the queen of healthcare and orthopedic PE transactions. Gary Hirschman is a healthcare transactions attorney from Epstein Becker Green. And of course, Dana Jacoby that everyone knows and loves, who's the CEO of Vector Medical. Gary and Dana, it is a pleasure to have you back on. It's good to be here, Scott. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys, you know, you guys are doing a great job. I got to tell you, I mean, really helping to educate physicians in this arena, which there's so much... Uh, you know, miscommunication and misconceptions out there about private equity. So, you know, whether it's your Joey article, you know, that you've done, Gary, or the presentations that you do at all the society meetings, we're super, so just thrilled to have you on here. So, Gary, I'm going to start with you. So one of the things that we've been experiencing now is obviously this economy, the downturn in the economy, but we're starting to see the engine's getting a little bit revved up. We're doing okay. Interest rates look like they're going to probably stabilize looks like we missed a recession so people are getting you know a little excited so 
you know, there's definitely been a slowdown on transactions and also even platform development as well. So where do you see us going, you know, fourth quarter 2023 and beyond, Gary? Well, Scott, it, it, you know, things did slow down a little bit, especially with new platforms for the last 12 months or so, 12 to 18 months. Um, we're seeing it pick up and we think it's been busy for add-ons, for smaller add-on deals over the last 12 months. But we really see the add-on market just, you know, getting even more robust. And, and also we're seeing, you know, a new platform a month or so ago in Nebraska. And both Dana and I are aware through just talking with folks that there's probably going to be another three or four new platforms um, that are going to come out somewhere in the next three to six months. So maybe fourth quarter or first quarter next year. So by the end of this year, there will be 20 platforms. And by the end of next year, we're thinking probably 24 or 25 orthopedic platforms. Okay, Dana, let's give a little explanation to the listeners out there, because I don't think everybody knows what a platform is or what an add-on deal is. So just make it easy for Judy, my mother, who might be listening to. <laughs> First of all, I'm a huge fan of Judy. So uh, yeah, she, she, did, she did a good job. No, um, so honestly, Scott, when you think about a platform, and it, it's blurry, we actually have a couple articles on this. Am I a platform? And, and I could put it in the show notes uh, for you guys. But long story short, a platform group usually is someone who has a sophisticated leadership team, they have the ability to scale. So they have, you know, they're a group that if, if I were to invest in them as an equity investor, we could take their physician leadership, their culture, their systems and scalability, their clinical um, excellence to the next level. And for a lot of smaller groups, if you hear the word bolt on or add on, it's groups that may not have that same level of sophistication. Not that the doctors, by the way, aren't sophisticated. All doctors we know are, uh, are good clinicians. It's more of the fact that maybe they haven't built the right leadership team or the right scalability, or, I mean, one of the biggest things we're seeing this year is, hey, I need to build an ambulatory surgery center. Well, if you're a small orthopedic group, Dr. A, Dr. B, Dr. C, and Dr. D are now trying to figure out how to personally guarantee that kind of ancillary build out, that's a lot of money. And so unless you're a large scalable group that already has those types of things in place, it just makes it a lot harder. So when you hear platform, it usually is a group that has pretty sophisticated systems, leadership, clinical efficiency and efficacy, and then a bolt-on is gonna be someone that maybe needs to go that route, or they could infuse capital into themselves if they wanted to, but it's just easier sometimes to you know, land against a mothership that already has a lot of those things in place. Okay, so again, I love to interpret, you know, for the average orthopedic surgeon, two best years of our life were fourth grade. So we got to keep it simple and easy for them. So a platform group is going to be the first orthopedic group that's going to come together because of all the things that you've talked about, infrastructure, CEO, you know, like best practices. They then get together with a private equity group, which provides the capital to create this platform, and then they start adding on by adding on the additional groups that come on in. So the initial platform group is usually a very special group, and then the add-ons can be groups that need help, right? As you said, I mean, the idea is pretty daunting to go out and spend, you know, three, four or $5 million to build an ASC. Where do you get the capital? Doctors are doctors. They want to practice medicine. They don't necessarily want to be a business person. So I think that's, uh, that's right on. So Gary, back to you, brother. So uh, first of all, when's it going to be Epstein, Becker, Green, and Hirschman? Oh, oh no, your, oh, shoulder, your shoulder's blocking it. I can my see shoulder's it. blocking it. It's been approved, and 
They just haven't changed the signage yet. <laughs> All right, terrific. But but so listen, so what do you see? Okay, so you see the end of this year, but we'll talk about 2024. Is there a breath of fresh air here at this point? Or are people going to come out, you know, full tilt again and really try to establish these new add-ons as well as the additional platforms that you talked about? Yeah, so I think that you're going to see the second half of this year, definitely by the fourth quarter, all through 2024, it's going to be back like 2021, which was a banner year to kind of make up for the COVID slowdown. I, I'm, I'm convinced it's going to be rocking and rolling. You know, all of these 20, soon to be 24 platforms need to grow. If they don't grow, you know, what are they doing with that money that's coming from big institutional and, and very wealthy investors? So now you're going to have, you know, over 20 platforms and they're all looking to grow and orthopedic surgeons as Dana probably could explain better than I can are facing headwinds and challenges and it's getting tougher and tougher and I don't know whether you know she could chime in on that but that's that's what's happening it's going to be a banner year next year for sure are you as bullish Dana as well that's really big from you uh, (laughs) you're not you're not holding back yet it's exciting Yeah, you know, Scott, so so truly, if you would have asked both of us, I think in Q1 of this year, in in Q1 of 2023, in the first quarter, we thoroughly expected to not be busy, as busy, I should say, right now. And a lot of things have happened. One, to both of your points, the smaller groups, the bolt-ons, if you want to call them that, the smaller groups haven't slowed down at all. None of the headwinds that Gary mentioned have stopped. You know, I looked at the fee schedule for 2024. It looks like this for specialists, right? It looks like it's a downward-facing trend unless you own an ambulatory surgery center. If you own an ASC, it's very clear that's a good way to make up the difference for the fee, the reimbursement degradation. Uh, the average doctor in the United States is still over the age of 55. That hasn't changed. <laughs> you know, we a lot of the things that we were already facing happened, but interestingly enough, the private equity folks kind of slowed down a little bit in Q2. Um, mainly, I think, because the economy was very confusing. We had interest rates going up. We had you know, the debt ceiling being talked about. We had inflationary concerns. Well, it looks like we've somewhat seen some of that free itself up. More critically, Scott, a lot of these private equity firms had money still to deploy. There are new people coming into the space along with Amazon, Optum, Walgreens, Walmart, CVS. And interestingly enough, the newer player coming into the space is family office money. So we have the likes of, you know, think family offices, the Waltons, the Rockefellers, people like that who now want to invest in the physician practice management space. So, you know, none there's there's a lot of money in the sidelines still looking for a place to go and everybody seems healthcare as an opportunistic place to play. So it's really been fun. I mean, I agree with Gary. I'm a little more tempered on, you know, is it going to be 21? I don't know. Because 21, there was a lot of pent up money from 20 where nothing happened because of COVID. But I think we're going to be back in a rocket and rolling, exciting merger and acquisition year um, for all of us in the space. It's very exciting times. All right. That's great. So that brings up to sort of the next point, which is, you know, anything new and innovative always comes with great caution and skepticism. Right. And so, you know, you go to one of these orthopedic meetings, you go to a PE conference, and there's always a couple of the gray haired guys that raise their hand up and say, I remember from 1997, you know, we did this deal and, you know, it took us five years to recover. And there's sort of a lot of negative sentiment, but 
as these deals continue to grow and as the pressures, as you've talked about, for the smaller groups as they're trying to, to you know, meander through this, this crazy healthcare environment that we're going through, more and more is gaining acceptance. You know, the younger docs are recognizing that they're not going to be left behind because the older guys are doing it for the money. So it seems to me like the, the undercurrent of excitement and generation about private equity and orthopedics is becoming a little bit more mainstream. So with having said that, Dana, I want you to talk to our listeners here about, you know, what type of platforms are positioned well right now, right? You've got We've got 20, Gary says we're going to 24, you know, but as you're looking from, th you know, 36,000 feet, what type of platform should these add-on or bolt-on, you know, programs be looking at? Which ones seem to be successful? Yeah, so no surprise here, Scott, it probably would be the same thing if you asked me which orthopedic groups are most successful looking back historically, groups that have good physician leadership or had good physician leadership going into it. Um, from a private equity lens, private equities that had a good thesis. So they understood what they were investing in, how they were going to invest, what orthopedics was. We had some folks looking at the space early on where it was like, hey, we own other things outside of orthopedics that look nothing like orthopedics. We're just going to crosswalk that platform example over into ortho. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is surgical subspecialization and orthopedic surgeons are a, you know, an acquired taste when it comes to, you can't just crosswalk over something from dentistry into ortho, it doesn't always translate. So I think the platforms that are doing best had a great thesis, obviously had capital behind them and also had physician leadership that was very clear in what they were building. If you look at our best platforms, and Scott, I would point to, to you as well in this category, the physician leader and the face of the physician still is what people think of when they think of the platforms. You know, when they think of, of you, they think of Spire, they think of your background, they think of ortho laser, you're the face of a lot of those brands nationally, same thing. I mean, physician leadership still is the thing that is the most important investment. And I think for some of the private equity folks, that's something that culturally is hard to measure, but you can definitely see it in the wake of these deals. So I love that. So Gary, I'm gonna to go to you now. So I heard the word culture, which I think is super important. And that I think is, is really interlocked with infrastructure, right? So we talk about private equity that just brings in the money, right? And then you've got orthopedists that have this great idea as a platform group. But then the question is, how do you scale it, right? And so do you get you know, chief growth officer, chief information officer, you know, revenue cycle management? So Gary, talk to us about that from the platform perspective. How important is an, is an infrastructure set up in that process? Well, the infrastructure is crucial. In fact, going back to what Dana said about what makes a platform and having a CEO who's a seasoned CEO, not just an office manager, um, a CFO, uh, sometimes a chief operating officer, but definitely a good HR executive, a good you know, IT executive, a good experienced managed care you know, negotiator of contracts. I mean, some groups, there's one or two people that do all of those things. So I think, you know, if if the group, if the if the platform isn't, I mean, sometimes they don't have everything, right? And and so yes, adding those types of people, a growth officer, which most groups don't have, and making sure they have that the IT directors and the managed care contracting executives are really seasoned and not just doing it for one group and whatnot, but very, I mean, like MBA type experienced people, that's what they're doing. And they're, they're also expanding. So it's infrastructure and it's expansion. And some groups, some platforms 
um, are expanding nationally, whereas some are looking regionally, right? Um, and, and, and so there's a bit of a smattering there, like the two platforms that have been rumored and, and articles that they're out on the market, US Orthopedic Partners in, in the Southeast and Ortho Alliance kind of in the Midwest are very kind of geographic um, oriented within a few states. And, um, and there's others that are rumored, but these two are in print. Um, you know, in in in, uh, in in certain industry publications as being out, but there's others that are more national, like um, orthopedic care partners, United Musculoskeletal. So there's a big smattering of of approaches there. Hey Scott, on that note, just really fast, but I mean, some of this when you're asking that question about chief growth officers and development, you know, you forget how quickly this market has moved. There was one orthopedic platform in 2017, <laughs> nothing really in 18, not much in 19, 2020 through now. To Gary's point, there's 20, you know, 20, and so now the investment is going deeper where these platforms are getting more mature. Some are out for second bites, but some of them are also going to invest deeper into their overall talent pool, look for chief growth officers. So I think you're gonna see a reinvestment or a double down on the investment that maybe we just haven't had a chance to totally recognize yet because it moved so quickly in orthopedics. Yeah, so, let, so let's talk about that, right? So uh, a lot of these platforms have been around pre-pandemic, right? So they're getting pretty mature, right? They're out to that four or five year mark. The private equity groups that have put their capital in are now looking for a return on their investment. So it seems to me like, especially with the economy, we, we have a clear, the clouds are parting, we're getting a clearer view of the economy as we move forwards. So, and, I, and one thing I remember you said coming out of the JP Morgan uh, meeting this year was deals were still gonna happen, but they were gonna have to be you know pristine deals. But what's your vision? Like, do you think, it seems to me that a bunch of groups are gonna start going to market at this point. They've been around long enough and it's time to take that infrastructure and take it to the next level. Absolutely. No, I mean, Scott, we're already seeing it. To Gary's point, there's a couple in print, um, but this this industry tends to be very quiet, but also very, I mean, you hear stuff, right? And so um, there's bankers that are banking things. I think JP Morgan in 2024 is going to be incredibly busy uh, just because people are going to be out to market officially and you're going to hear about it more robustly. But absolutely, you know, if there is anything, diligence is going longer on bigger deals. So the pristineness, if you want to call that I don't think that's a word but the pristine part of this is the ability for you know folks to really look at the diligence make sure what they're buying is sound but make sure it also has scalability does it have the leadership team that they're that they're saying they do does it have the bench strength that they say they do do they have the culture to your point Scott that's becoming a bigger deal um, so it is very much uh, it's it's a little less fast than it was in 2021 as far as you don't just get a rubber stamp or my, my joke is always a shovel in the ground was an ASC. That was back in that back in 21. It was like a shovel in the ground and be like full credit ASC. Uh, Not exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we want another 5 million EBITDA. Throw <laughs> that in there. A hundred percent. The things are being looked at much more strategically and in ortho, we now we know what we're looking at, right? I mean, we didn't really have benchmarks for what good looked like yet. Um, but there are definitely going to be some second bites by this time next year. And I'm, I'm excited. I think other doctors are excited because we all want to see who the buyer is, what the multiples are, you know, the exciting part of the, the bite too that everybody keeps talking about. 
I, I want to bring the, the lawyer back in here again, Gary, because one of the things that we always hear about all these, you know, second bites, everybody gets concerned. Oh, the new group is going to come in. They're going to make us work harder. They're going to have to do more RVUs. They're going to throw away my nurse practitioner. So just, you know, real quick, Gary, just put everybody at ease that when the second group comes in, it's the same contract that you signed with the first group. Yeah, for everybody except someone with a big white fro, everything <laughs> will be the same in the second bite. No, I get, no, I get, no, no, no but, but yes, they, they are buying a company. They are buying, the platform is a company and it's gonna have the doctors, it's gonna have all their agreements, it's gonna have the executive team, it's gonna have you know uh, a pipeline of new expansion that they haven't done yet. And the, they're gonna come in, the new investor and say, we're gonna take this to the next level. Um, and they can't, just think about it. How, how can they come in and say, oh, we're gonna tinker with this and reduce benefits and change physician contracts. They're not gonna do that. Uh, again, the same thing with a platform group in the first place. They like the group. They're not gonna change anything, okay? Uh, same thing in the second bite. They like what they see, they're valuing it. And these are gonna be valued in the half a billion to billion dollar range, maybe even over a billion for some of the larger ones. So uh, the groups, the investor groups coming in to say, okay, we value this this high, you know, are, are, are not gonna try to upset the apple cart. They're gonna like what they see and wanna grow it more. You know, and it's, it's interesting because now that these platforms are established, I mean, they have profit and loss statements. So for so our listeners that are out, out there, maybe you're in one of these bolt on groups, but when you're talking to these platforms, have they done what they say they're going to do? Have they increased their profit from the year before? I mean, that's a track record that you should be able to follow. And I think especially when they go to market, that's going to be really important you know, for the next buyer. So, so let's keep, let's go there, but I'm going to skip. And now I'm going to go to you, Dana. Who's going to be the third bite, right? So it's five years from now. We're, we're going to get a couple of turnovers here, you know, first or second quarter of next year, most likely. Is it Google? Is it Walmart? You know, who's taking over healthcare when it really goes big? Is it an IPO? You know, wh where do you where do you see it going? Yes, yes, and yes. You know, I mean. It's hard, Scott. There is such a convergence. We so I'll, I'll answer it this way, which may sound a little backwards, but interesting things are happening. We actually have hospitals joint venturing with private equity, joint venturing with physician groups right now. So you could have a large hospital system, a large private equity roll up, and a large physician group all merge and then decide to go IPO. Um, we've had pension funds acquire other physician groups who've gone through bite one and bite two, you know, and then there are the big private equities, right? There are the, there are the KKRs, there's the Black Rocks, there's, I mean, there's people at the, the, the large level of private equity. So I don't know the answer. I mean, Amazon is out there, Optum is out there. There's a lot of different people playing for the space, but you also could have a very real joint venture moving forward that looks very different than anything you, Gary, and I have seen today because when you're in the strategy sessions of a lot of these places right now, they're talking about, hey, maybe we reinvest or co-invest alongside. You've seen some rollbacks where you have a smaller private equity roll back into a larger private equity and then co-invest or JV with somebody else. So I think the sky's the limit. Um, the only thing I can tell you for sure is every single investor meeting I'm in that covers all categories of investment. So oil and gas, real estate, everything. They are so bullish on investing in healthcare. 
I think you're going to have a, an unbelievable group of people. I mentioned family office money. It's just very interesting times. So, you know, who knows? Traditionally, if we go back, traditionally with dentistry and ophthalmology and derm, it's been larger private equities, pension funds, or IPO. But I think the future is very bright and it may look incredibly different from what we've seen previously. Yeah, maybe, maybe it'll even be disruptive. I'm coming to you a sec, Gary, but you know, think about it. I mean, what do we do right now? We take 25% off the top and it goes to the commercial payers to manage all this stuff, right? So maybe if we could just you know, eliminate that process, how much more money could go back into the system to be able to actually take care of patients? Totally agree. Well, so. and we're doing a lot of direct to employer models, Scott. So, I mean, anyway, the sky's the limit. I mean, I think it's very disruptive right now where you could have payers, strategics, health systems, I know Gary's in these conversations as well, but it's very interesting to watch people architect their futures. What do you got, Gary? So on that last point, I think that by 2030, you know, which is only you know six and a half, seven years away, I think in the 2030s, there's going to be so much direct contracting with large companies that I think the payers are, you know, not going to be, I mean, they're they're still going to be relevant, but not as relevant. And I think that's why United Healthcare with Optum has invested hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, because I think that they want to be positioned for that transformation, even though it still may be far off. But I just want to give an example for, from the earlier discussion also about, you know, what's the second bite? What's the third bite? Um, and I think as long as there's larger private equity firms that, you know, can invest in billion dollar, multi-billion dollar deals, whether it's KKR and other very, you know, blue chip, they call them private equity firms. Um, there could be second and third and fourth bites all within private equity, like Dana said, like there is in eye care and dentistry. But I, I do think that Summit Medical Group, even though it's not orthopedics, is a good example because Summit Medical Group started consolidating physician practices, um, like including specialists, orthopedics, urology, dermatology, everything, ASCs. Um, and then Warburg Pincus came in and they combined them with CityMD. And, you know, two years ago, the rumor was they were going public and the pandemic hit. Then they went with Village MD. And Village MD, as you know, is majority owned by Walgreens and in a joint venture with Cigna. And, you know, the thought is now, well, what's next for them? It, it, in my view, you know, I don't have inside information. It's clearly an IPO at this point. So at any rate, so you could just see these things going on for years. And uh, at any rate, that's just a good example. But they have a lot of orthopedic surgeons there too. At, at, it, at, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a billion dollar valuation, most likely for these larger platforms this year or next year, right? I mean, that's a very reasonable number. I mean, what's the, what's the third bite? What's, is it 15, is it a 15, 15 billion is what's no, going to be probably, needed? It's probably 5 billion. Okay. You know, the third bite and, and some second bites will be 500 million. Okay. Yeah. The smaller, you know, regional groups, the bigger ones probably, you know, in the billion dollar range. And then the third bite would be somewhere in the three to $5 billion range. And then like Village MD, what was that? A $9.6 billion deal with yeah. Summit Health. Um, right. I think at that stage, you know, it's a big national company or an Optum, whatever. Or, or, you know, at the CVS or Google Health or Walmart. But I think that it, it's either to be part of one of those or to go public. Way down. Be, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, 
you know, let's say you got 50, 75 million, you know, EBITDA across the platform. It's going to be really interesting to see what the multiples come through for the first round, right? We haven't seen one yet, but should be coming soon. So it'll be fascinating. I have another prediction, Gary, 2030. There's going to be an ortho laser center next to every single Walmart or Google in America. Yes. Laser democratization for all Americans. We love that. I love it. I love it. I just I just ordered mine on Amazon. It hasn't come yet. Oh, you can't order an ortho laser franchise on Amazon, Gary. Now come on. Stay oh, with machine. me. You can't, well, you, you can't know. order it. We're all good. All right. We'll talk about that later. Okay. So let, Gary, let's go to something that's hot and new within private equity. It sounds like it's a, uh, either dental or it's a military uh, gig. It's called the extractions where you're taking these hospital-based groups and you're somehow, I mean, the, the working dogma has been you can't approach a hospital-owned group because they're part of the hospital. They can't independently make their own decisions. Their contracts say they can't do anything without the hospital saying it's okay. But it seems to me like you guys have come up with a pathway here to help the doctors that are hospital employed. So let's tell our listeners all about that. So again, there's a lot of doctors, some orthopedic surgeons, cardiologists, other specialists also, that are either employed by hospitals or their group has a PSA, a professional services agreement where basically all the doctors in the practice is leased to the hospital or hospital affiliated faculty practice plan or whatnot. And everything's billed under the hospital and, and, and it's kind of controlled and, and run by the hospital. Um, uh, there's a lot of them out there. And Basically, what's starting to happen, and Dana and I know this, it hasn't erupted yet, but we're talking to so many groups in orthopedics and in cardiology in particular, those two specialties, uh, and we've actually closed some deals where you know the, the you could give notice to terminate a PSA or an employment agreement, and um, and you give X days notice, 90, 180 days notice, um, and a lot of these, a lot of these PSAs, if it's with the whole group, professional. Say, well, tell tell everybody what a PSA is. What so is a PSA is like when it's leased over, everyone's contracted to be. No, what does it? What's it stand? What's it stand for? Professional services agreement. Okay, I don't know it's if you said that already. Physician, I apologize. A okay. physician lease, and 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 so, a lot of them basically only prohibit after termination, um, competing by going to another hospital, okay? Others have just the regular 20 mile, 30 mile non-compete. But uh, the ones that have a non-compete that only prohibits, you know, going with and affiliating with a competing hospital, you could just give your notice. Um, you only give your notice once you have a deal with a private equity firm in writing, signed, sealed, and then you give your notice and the private equity platform in orthopedics, cardiology, what have you, will have an office ready for you, turnkey through their platform, right? They have all the experts, managed care contracts, electronic medical records, everything, for you to then land softly and also get a pretty lucrative purchase. Even though you're in a, and, and we've, we've closed one of these deals in the Colorado region and, uh, and, the, and the doctors got paid at the closing and then gave the notice, and now it's gonna go live in less than 30 days in terms of their private practice. We're talking to orthopedic surgeons at hospitals, academic 
health systems um, about this. And even if they're employed, which is a little bit different than the PSA model, um, there could be a whole group of orthopedic surgeons that we're talking to some right now who, who said, you know, wow, I wonder if we all give this notice. And even if there's a non-compete, a bunch of us get together, strike a deal with private equity, and uh, we all give notice to terminate our employment at the same time after we have a deal in writing. And, uh, and then we start practicing outside the non-compete or ask that they waive the non-compete because we're still gonna be you know, doing surgeries at, at the hospital um, you know, and important to the hospital and, and, and they're or a large part of their orthopedic department. So there's some leverage there. Everything has to be orchestrated very carefully. Okay. Yeah, this this really is a really delicate dance. I mean, you know, you're getting divorced and then you're know, starting to date your wife literally immediately after the divorce proceedings. Right. No, but you've arranged it. But you got to admit, I mean, this is great for the lawyers because yeah. God forbid you want to try and do this without the lawyers. I mean, right. you got to make sure you got this right. So Dana, what's your perspective? No, Scott, I'll, I'll put it this way. If you had asked me what percentage of Vector's business was this a year and change ago, I would have said less than 3%. I mean, it was not even a thing. It's now upwards of 15, 20% of the of the phone calls I'm fielding. And it's not just ortho, It's a, but all of a sudden people are at the water cooler at AOS and they're saying, wait a minute, can I look at that as a part of my practice? And to Gary's point, it's funny. I was, this is a true story. I was with three hospital CEOs last night big hospitals around the country. And they said, oh, our specialists aren't doing anything like that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm not gonna go on. Well, you know, but I mean, it's, it's real. Our specialists during COVID, you know, our hospitals were busy. They were running on negative margins. Then one of the hospital CEOs said, Dana, I'll be honest. I was just trying to keep nurses like staffed at the bedside. I didn't have time to thank the orthopedic surgeon and the OR for all they were doing. I wanted to, I just, I was busy. And while all that was happening, Scott, private equity came in and started investing in doctor practices. And so now if people are water cooler at AOS and they're talking about this, the specialists are coming back and saying, hey, Gary, can you look at my employment agreement, my PSA? Can I get out of it? Is it golden handcuffs? And surprisingly, Scott, because private equity has come into the space so quickly, a lot of the legacy contracts don't have language that would be prohibitive from leaving. So now also, the newer ones, the newer ones are coming in with harder handcuffs on them for obvious reasons, but legacy contracts have very interesting language that don't necessarily address leaving for a private equity investment, which is interesting. I just want to add one thing, Scott, which is, you know, the we're talking about doctors, surgeons, cardiologists that are in hospitals where they're not happy, okay? There are um, groups I know that are very happy at their hospitals. They treat them well, they pay attention to them, but I think that's a minority, a, a, a small minority. And I think the majority of, of doctors that have been employed kind of feel like they're not getting the attention and love, like they got wrapped up and you're part of our system and we get all your cases and your patients and we don't really want to give you much attention or love anymore. And I think it's those, those are the doctors that are starting to think about, whoa, the, this deal could be pretty lucrative, but also I'm not happy. If someone's happy where they are, right. even though they see other lucrative you know, deals going on, they might not want to even be tempted. But 
It's when they're unhappy. Yeah, I, you know, look, it, it's it's not about, I mean, yeah, there's money involved in these transactions, right? But if you're truly, you know, getting to the core of it, you know, it, you, you shouldn't do private equity because of money, okay? You join a private equity group because you want to have control. Right. You, you know, let's face it, the hospitals are beholden to so many different subspecialties, right? Trying to keep everybody happy and usually no one's happy. Hospitals are for sick people. You know, they have a very important role for complex tertiary care that needs to happen or even patients that are ill that need to stay somewhere outside of their home. Orthopedics, you know, more every day, it's moving to outpatient, right? right. To ASCs. And so for the orthopedic surgeon to be in, involved in that mess of unhappiness within a hospital system, allowing them to gain control again, and yes, have financial reward because of the fact that you you deserve it and your patients are going to get great care, then that's all uh, well and good. So I think that uh, you know this is a this is a great place, I think, for us to to conclude, guys. By the way, I know that the phone rang uh, during this. And Dana, it was actually, I don't know if you can see this, but it was my mother that was calling. <laughs> that was Judy that called in the middle of the show. It, so we're gonna have we're gonna have a reprimand He's Judy. Like, God, to, I know what a platform is now. <laughs> I'm literally gonna have to send her the podcast schedule That's now. Fantastic. And, and I hi, was Judy. on do <laughs> hi Judy. And we were on Do Not Disturb. Now look, Dana and Gary, this was awesome. It's exactly what I wanted. I wanted our listeners to be able to get an update about what's happening. You guys are so involved in this process. You know it as well as anyone. I think we've done a great job here today educating you know, our listeners. Now, I know there's a bunch of stuff coming up too, Dana. Where, where is the next place that we're, people are going to be able to see you in person to be able to uh, figure this out? Yeah, so Scott, we're lucky. We've had so much interest in this topic. We're doing literally a six hour deep dive into this at, at the Orthopedic Summit in Boston, uh, September 19th. For anybody who hasn't been to Ortho Summit, it's the Emerging Technology Summit for Orthopedics. I'm blown away at how many people are already text messaging me that they're coming, um, but it'll be September 19th, that entire back half of the day. And we're gonna go deeper into all of these themes. I mean, this is just, Obviously, like you said, a 30,000 foot, this, this is going to go deep into, you know, how do you prepare yourself? Is this even something for you? You know, we're going to have doctors that have gone through a second bite from different specialties to educate about what that looks like. So we would love for anybody to come out. Um, it's a great event. It's a great conference. Uh, and Boston's always great uh, at that time of the year. So anyway, that's that'll be the next time. And then we also have you know, some stuff coming at AUKUS and AAOS, and we have a physician transactions conference next year as well. So very busy time, but uh, every day there's something new. So it's exciting to be able to have this many opportunities to educate. So Epstein, Becker, Green, and Hirschman is going to be there as well. Is that correct, Gary? They will. ABGH. Yeah, yeah we're <laughs> going to be there as well, Scott. I just want to add one more thing in closing. When you said it's not about the money, right? Yeah. I used to say that half of the deals that, that I work on don't go to the highest bidder. Well, now it's 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 more than half. I would say 60 to 70% of the deals don't go to the highest bidder. It's about culture, it's about trusting the people, understanding their vision and their track record. And so I just want to point that out because I see it changing a lot in that regard. It's definitely not about the money. So I concur with you there. Yeah, that's great. And so OSET is my favorite multi-specialty orthopedic meeting of the year. There will be a fro sighting on Tuesday with you guys as well. I'm excited to be on one of your panels. 
And of course, The Ortho Show will be there too. We're going to be doing live recordings of amazing guests as well. So please, everybody, make sure you get ready to wave hello. We'll make sure that uh, this broadcast comes out before as well so everybody gets to know. I thank you both so much. I always learn so much when I'm with the two of you. It's been a great talk today, educating our listeners. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Judy. You. All right. Thank you, All right, Judy. Thanks, everybody. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Until next time.